Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the unfined statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Oldson and I'm joined today by Martin Raleigh and Dan Holdsworth. Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, I'm well fed. I've had chicken wings, spicy chicken wings tonight, which I think is the important information you guys need. Um, and, and, and ready to podcast. How are you, mate? I'm all right, yeah. I had... Um, I, I, try, I said on the podcast we did last night, which um, was the five-a-side draft, if anyone's not listened yet, that I had Masaka. And I had something very similar to Masaka for tea tonight as well, but it wasn't a Masaka. So that's the only way I can describe it. I think it's just using up the ingredients that I didn't use yesterday. Uh, but both were very nice. Masaka adjacent. I guess so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I can describe it. Martin, what about you? What have you eaten? I have had some chicken Kievs and some homemade chips, which was pretty good. With some beans on the side. Yeah. I would say you've got some nice... Oh, chick- very the nice. Kievs were from the butchers as well, so there was decent Kievs. Very garlicky. I enjoyed them. All chicken, aren't we? Indeed. <laughs> cool. So we're here to talk about the Bristol City game, who um, we play on Friday night in Bristol. Uh, but before that, we will do the news, because I feel like it's ages since we've done the news, with for whatever reason. So I guess there's transfer stuff to discuss, even though there's not science <laughs> to discuss. So um, let's start with the centre-backs we've been linked with. So kind of seen noise about Mepham, Worrell, Godfrey. Dan, wh- why do you reckon that we're linked with so many centre-backs? Is it that... We just think we can improve in that area, or is, do you think there's a, another reason? I think there's 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 probably some wear and tear in our current centre backs. I mean, we've got an issue with strike at the moment, and I guess they've been a bit coy about how when he's going to be back, which <laughs> sets alarm bells in in my head uh, with Leeds United. Um, uh, I think Rodon's had a good kick in this season, hasn't he? He's played loads. He's been great, but he's played a lot. You know, I won't be sh- I won't be shocked to find out he's carrying a knock. Um, Cooper's injury prone and not really fancied and Cresswell isn't fancied so yeah I just think they probably need a, a, like a genuine third choice centre back I mean Ampadu's been great recently but I would like to see Ampadu back in midfield at some point so yeah I just think it'd be nice to get a centre back in and I suspect the club think the same Yeah I have, I have liked Ampadu there it's just a worry that the minute that 
I don't know, half sort of four starting to two centre backs and the two in the pivot. It feels like if any of them go now, we haven't got any depth that is comfortable with. So yeah, it'd be just nice to have us one centre back in just to um, make us feel a bit better on that one. I guess right back and left back are still a priority for Leeds as well. So we've had links to multiple full backs with the most re- most recent being uh, Daichi Hashioka, who has been since moved to Luton. Martin, how worried would you be if we didn't bring in a full back in this window? I'd, it would be a concern for definite um, because we've already lost two fullback options um, in Ailing and Spence going back to Spurs. I realise that Spence didn't play a whole lot in the first half of the season um, and Ailing has sort of been saved, was saved out and barely played for a, a few months now. So, it's, so yeah, we still do need that backup because the options we've got in both fullback spots are injury prone. So we've got Byram who is in and out with a lot of injuries. Furpo, we all know his history of injuries. And same with uh, Jamie Shackleton, who is our other player who's playing at left back and right back. So we've got a lot of injuries there. So yeah, I would like at least, I'd say at least a left back. I mean, um, I think maybe we'd just about get by if we brought in a left back. And then we should have enough cover for running back with Chi and Byram and Shackleton, even if two of those maybe out of the team a bit, bit through injury. I still think we'd get by. But if we weren't bringing in anyone, then it, that would be a Pretty big risk, and we may end up seeing some pretty wild fullbacks being chosen. Possibly even Groove in left back. He's played there for Bulgaria. Strauch, as we discussed recently, has also played left back, so he is another one. But he's injured, and as I've mentioned before, we're not really hearing a whole lot about Strauch and how when he's going to be back. Just vagueness, which is concerning me as well, especially with the recent links to centre backs. With Godfrey, I wasn't at when that when was with Godfrey. That wasn't an alarm bell for me because Godfrey is a player who could play the full-back spots as well. Whereas Mepham and Worrell are pretty much pure centre backs, and those would those are the ones which started getting alarm bells ringing. That how long is Strauch out for? I'm hoping it's not too long. I mean, Godfrey's playing for Everton as we speak now, so mm-hmm. yeah. So perhaps that's a non-starter. I mean, just, I mean, I like the, the idea of Godfrey because. Because he could play that kind of right back that sort of sits and holds position, essentially be a third centre back, couldn't he? Really well. He's like he's got great athleticism. Is you know, he's got centre back attributes, but and he's got right back attributes. So I think he'd be a good fit for that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not expecting Godfrey to sign. Um, he's on quite a lot of money as well, isn't he? Yeah, he was a big signing for Everton, maybe maybe twenty mil from Norwich a few years ago. So so I'm, I'm presuming he got a big contract with that transfer fee, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Everton are good payers, aren't they? I think as well. I guess on the fullbacks as well, like. Ideally, would it be a left back? But with Byron can play both sides. Shackleton can arguably play both sides, but he's more comfortable at right back. Like, does it have to be a left back, or does it just get in what we can if it's if it's the right quality? I think quality first, but definitely my preference is like Martin's is for a left back. Um, I think it's been good with the the right the left winger, should I say, cutting in on his right foot, Somerville. Or, or Anthony on onto whoever it is is going to be cutting in on the right foot, aren't they? On the left wing. So what? So I think you saw on in the the cup game at the weekend, Byron playing behind Anthony and going around the outside of Anthony and then cutting back, and it just didn't quite work. And I think I've really appreciated having Furpo there as the outside left option. Um, so I just I'd really like to have another option there because we know Furpo, you know, was likely to get injured again, isn't he? At some point soon, he's not going to play all the games. But Furpo's been great recently, genuinely been good. Is you know, um, above the level in an attacking sense, certainly. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be really nice to have another left back and then just consider Byram a right back option. That would be my approach, and Byram and Gray as our right back options. But I'm not absolutely <laughs> going to be pretty happy with a strong right back as well coming in. So 
I've long thought that like buying a sort of young left back would be the easiest move Leeds could ever do because he'll get quite a few games in a season. He's, he's, he'll develop and then he can just come in whenever and then hopefully he'll be the starter one day. But that would make too much sense with Leeds United and left backs, wouldn't it? <laughs> Never seen them. <laughs> uh Next one then, so this this one caused a bit, I don't know, it might have just been a Twitter thing, but Leo Hielder going on a permanent to Sunderland. I didn't have any strong feelings on this, to be honest. I think a lot of people think more about Leo Hielder than I do, but Dan, what do you think of this? I'm, I was I was always in the Leo Hield, like, oh, this, this guy's a prospect. I really liked him when he first got in the team. I think he played against West Ham, didn't he, in the BLs in the Premier League, and, and there was a cup game against West Ham, and had a really good game against, like, um, Michael Antonio, Generally looked the part, good on the ball. I just thought, yeah, we've got a prospect here. But it kind of it kind of tailed off since then, didn't it? He? he never really got that many chances. He went to Rotherham and I think did okay. It wasn't a disaster, but was in and out of their team. I think their manager I've seen since um, said he wasn't ready to play centre-back at like championship senior level just yet. They played him at left-back. Um, and then Farc had a go at using him in the summer, didn't he? And then the first game of the season and it kind of didn't go very well. And basically he's bombed him out. Now... My long-held view is that Leeds are a little bit quick to bomb young players out. They could probably just have found him alone and see, you know, because I think Hield is a talented player and they could possibly find him, find him alone. Uh, and to, you know, to see if uh, he comes back in a year or so as ready to have a go at the first team again. But, but too many quid's a lot of money for a guy that's not done anything for two years, really. Um, and if the people at Leeds who know more about football than me, all the coaches, scouting staff, the people at Rotherham, Various managers at Leeds have like had him and not fancied him really beyond the odd bit bits and pieces here. You know, I trust them. You know, if it was one guy, if it was Jesse Marsh not fancying Hield, I'd ignore that. But it's not just Jesse Marsh, it's a few football people have said the same or have seemed to have had the same view of him. And you gotta think after a while, well maybe they know something. Um the only the only kind of worry is that's not worry but the only thing that might go against that is Sunderland are very good at picking up players that aren't a surplus to requirements that you know strong stronger teams than them and turning them into something. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't be a total surprise to see in two or three years' time Hill doing great up there and, you know, subject to big bids from from better clubs. But I think when someone's offering you two million for play, you've got no plans to use, you take it in our shoes. Could see him being a bit of a Leif, Leif Davis situation where his, his development isn't hasn't just gone the way that people expect it. So, like, a couple of years playing for Sunderland, he might suddenly become a great player, which w- wouldn't surprise me. No, I think he's got the material yeah. to, to be a good player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he, it was weird because he, he was played, whenever, for what I watched the pre-season, he played well. And then the, the game that stands out to me, I think he might have been the last game he played was the Salford game. I'm pretty sure he played that one, was just rubbish. So I don't know if he has played since then. I might, I might be completely wrong on that. But um, yeah, I felt like it was the game that just Farc just didn't fancy him after that. Uh, the next one then, so Charlie Cresswell, he's kind of kissed and made up with Farc. Martin, do you reckon this is just due to lack of interest in him moving elsewhere, or could it be that we need centre back, so it makes sense to sort of reintegrate him back into the first team? I think it's probably most likely that Dresswell wanted to wanted to go once more game time, which is natural. He played a fair amount of minutes last year, last season for Millwall at this level, so you can understand why he'd be disappointed that he's not getting more game time. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he's ready to play for us. At this level, um, because playing for Millwall in Championship is a totally different prospect to playing for a promotion ch- chasing side in the Championship. I'm not sure if he's got the ball playing capabilities at the moment to work in our team. I think he's he's defensively sound. That that part of the, of his game wouldn't worry me. 
but it would be more about the demands that he would have on him in possession. And he was shaky at times at Millwall. And I think the clubs who were in, interested in him were Millwall again. And I think the other team who was interested in but both of those sides have since gone on to sign other players in for, for the centre-back spot. So it seems the interest in him has gone away now. So he's kind of thought, oh, well, maybe I should make, make up with Farker now. I think it's probably less more likely to be Presswell making up and saying he's going to knuckle down than it is us because of our shortness at centre-back because I don't think he's likely to play too many minutes other than in an emergency situation. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I think if it, if he comes in, I wouldn't be too worried, to be honest, but yeah, I can't see him getting too too many minutes between now and the end of the season unless an injury strikes. I think the only thing to discuss is actually a game of football that Leeds played, which we haven't talked about. Uh, so Leeds played Plymouth on Saturday at and that was a one-all draw. So, did either of you watch this game? And if so, what did you think? Martin, you're nodding your head, so I'll come to yeah, you. Yeah, I watched it. Um, it was the old tale, the game of two halves. Um, the first half, we were very dominant, and Plymouth didn't really have anything. They were pretty passive, and I think they was hoping to try to hit us in transition, but that never really went anywhere. And then in, in the second half, they got a bit more aggressive and their man just spoke about this, that they were sure, they, he felt that they were showing us too, too much respect and went for a bit more in the second half and they had more attacks and they ended up pinching a goal and equalising, which was quite frustrating given our dominance in the first half because we definitely could have scored more than once. But most of the annoyance here is that we have, we'll have an extra game to play in the middle of a very hectic away schedule as it is. So we've we've got two trips to I think both trips are to Plymouth away. Is that correct? We're playing. We're playing them again. Yeah, two trips to Plymouth, Bristol away on Friday, obviously, and then Swansea's in there, and Rotherham. Swansea's in there, yeah, and then Rotherham at home. Rotherham's at Rotherham's at home, isn't yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all southwest, basically. Yeah, all of that before. Um, it's, it's basically the longest games of the season, longest yep. travel of the season, probably, isn't it? All at the same time. Or Southampton away, the other one, but yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so there, there's a lot of. Awful games there for travel time and not as much time because of the travel time involved. But so yeah, that is not ideal at all. I would have preferred us probably to lose <laughs> and not have that extra game. Um, but it is where it is, and just have to hope that the extra, that doesn't add to more injuries with a, an extra game into the schedule because it's really not not what we need at the moment. At that end of the run, the, at the end of that run as well, we've got Leicester at home, which is obviously not great timing on that is one it, either. Isn't the cup game midweek leading up to the Leicester game? I believe so. Yeah, because you want like a run up to that Swansea's game. The Swansea's the week before, isn't there? Yeah, you want like a run update to that game, Leicester game, with like everyone fit and like a full week's training. That's the annoying thing, isn't it? Like I've got this, I've got my working theory that leads like press and defend better when they've had a full week of training. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah, and yeah, that's definitely. It's like yeah. the Sunderland game earlier in this year. Yeah. There's like all the basically all the midweek games. We're not doing very well. Stoke, yeah, Sunderland. And I think it's pre- yeah, well. I think it's pressing. Yeah, right. yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just my little working theory that it's, it's, it knocks our pressing up, which knocks everything off a kilter. Anyway, no, I've, I think I've long for that. So yeah, I think, think you might be right there. Good stuff. So I think that brings then to the news, unless anyone can think of anything else. But if not, I will move on to. Um, talk about Bristol City then. So this week, Dan, you spoke to Dave Featherstone of uh, Fev's Football Analytics, who I spoke to earlier in the season, about where Bristol City are ahead of the game on Friday. Hello, and today I'm joined by Dave Featherstone, uh, otherwise known as Fev's Football 
anal- analytics, uh, Bristol City fan. How are you doing, Dave? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying the weekend of not having to play on a Saturday or Sunday, you know, having played in the FA Cup <laughs> on Friday night. So, yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah, and you, 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 well, you, you're still in the competition, aren't you? So, you yeah. know, not, not too bad. Like, like yourselves, yeah. We've got, got a replay to deal with now. So Yeah, less than ideal. the replay is less than ideal, but yeah, okay. Cool. So uh, the last time we spoke, well, you spoke to Tom from All Stats That We back in October, and I had a quick look at the game. It was sunny back then as well. Um, Bristol City visited Ellen Road, and it was a 2 0 victory, sorry, 2 1 victory to Leeds that day. Not an overly, overly memorable game, really, I don't think, but listeners might remember Nigel Pearson sat in a chair with, with crutches. I think he just had surgery in his knee or something at the time, or something. I don't know if that <laughs> rings a bell. He's, he's, um, he's had some knee. Um back problems I think and I think he's you know he's still probably suffering from them to to be honest so yeah he was uh, he was struggling back then so yeah I, I remember seeing footage of Daniel Fark kind of going over to him and like shaking his hand and giving him a quick hug in like in his chair. <laughs> it was quite a comical image at the end of the game. So not too long after that fixture fixture maybe a month month after uh, Bristol City parted ways with Pearson and gave the job to Liam Manning, uh, who was the Oxford manager at the time. Could you tell us about the lead up to that change in manager or, or head coach, I'm not sure. Yeah. Head coach? Yeah and what and what do you think the club? Why do you think the club made that choice? I suppose. Um, I think there, are, you know, lots of lots of stories coming out. I think you know Nigel Pearson had spent you know a good two and a bit seasons, kind of rebuilding the club after it was left in a in a kind of massive mess, and probably got to this summer, and probably the first kind of point in his tenure where he thought, right, it's time to kick on. Um, and I think we would, you know, we spent the majority of the you know that first part of the season in the top half of the table. Um, and it was just around the kind of Leeds game that we went to Leicester and we had a couple of tough games and then we had a lot of injuries and we kind of just dropped below below halfway. Um, we went to Cardiff, which was his last game, and we literally had kind of like nine senior first team players and a, you know, a couple of kids, you know, either making their debuts or on the bench and we, we lost there and they decided to pull the plug. Um, I think that came a little bit off the back of Nigel Pearson having a, a few words about the end of the transfer window where there was lots of talk about, oh, the budget's maxed out, I can't bring anyone else in, and, and yet we just sold Alex Scott for £20 million. So there were a few things that weren't really aligning, I think, between him and the him and the board and the hierarchy. And, uh, yeah, they started to, to part ways. And uh, after kind of a week or so search, um, we, we appointed Liam Manning. OK, so since Manning's come in, results haven't really improved that much, really. Um, I think Manning's had four wins, four draws, five losses, compared to eight wins, five draws, and seven losses for Pearson. So a slight dropping points per game. I mean, I get again, it's a small sample size, isn't it? So it's probably too early to draw definitive conclusions. But do you think that's a fair reflection of performance levels? Um, yeah, I think we've had a, we've had some some decent performances, and, and we've had some not so decent performances. And I think it really probably sums up the, the squad. To be honest, is that we're a mid-table squad. We're a you know a, a team of what I'd call similar ability players. We don't have too much magic in the side, and we have a team of you know hard work in grafters. You know Nigel built up a pretty decent culture, and I think it's it'll be interesting to see how Liam Manning kind of takes us forward, and whether you know the I guess the on vogue statements are very much you know an on the grass coach, front foot football, all those kind of buzzwords that come out. Will that translate into moving us higher up the table? You know, the board were really bullish about it, saying, you know, aspirations of the playoffs and the reason for sacking Nigel Pearson was because we didn't want to waste this season. But 
we sit here today with kind of you know almost two thirds of the season going, and unless we start picking up some results quickly, you know we're probably going to be writing the season off. Yeah, I mean, look, looking at some of the underlying numbers, yeah, like the XG for and against, it's it's lower on both counts under Manning compared to Pearson. So Pearson, you're putting up one point two a game per ninety, and you're giving up one point three, and under Manning, it's you're putting up a, an XG a game, and you're giving up point nine three. So you know, has he? tighten the ship or is it just variance and it's a small sample size and it'll probably even out I, th- I think i think most most fans who kind of like you know follow the data would say that we were pretty solid defensively under nigel pearson um and we were a little bit kind of lacking in the in the forward areas in terms of you know creating too much and we we're probably you know into i guess Almost kind of like we were better. We were trying to move away from playing on track, you know, on the break and in transition, trying to get a little bit more control. And we probably not really achieved it. And injuries probably played some some part in that. Um, and, and I think what we've now seen under under Liam Manning is a much more patient approach to to possession. And we'll talk a little bit, I guess, about that in in, in a bit. But I think what we've ended up doing is we've taken away probably some of the the strengths of the team, which was, you know, countering our opposition and, and, and creating chances that way. And therefore, it's not really surprising that our XG and shots on target and our attacks from out and play have, have kind of dropped off. Um, yet we've kind of, you know, we, we've started to pass the ball more. Uh, but I think, you know, if I was probably sitting here being really critical, I'd say performances both in attack and defence are a bit more sterile. And so we'll probably talk about you know that'll affect uh, Friday night's game as well in terms of you know playing against Leeds and how they play as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one. So it's kind of thirteen league games into his reign, and we've not seen that upside yet. But it's not to say it won't happen. But the, the signs, you know, they're not they're not. It's not like those normal kind of uh, things where you think, oh, you know, the performances are, are, are really great. Results are going to catch up. I think you know results and performances are pretty well aligned at the moment. Yeah. Okay. So our listeners probably don't know too much about Liam Manning. Uh, what could you tell us about his what type of manager he is and what his perhaps ideal style of play would be? Do you, do, I mean, has he talked about that? Yeah, about he's how he wants to, to get I, the team playing. Yeah, I, I think you know that's very much Liam Manning's very very clear on what his style is, and it's you know the the, the usual. I want to dominate games by controlling possession. Um, I want to be front foot. I want to press high. Um, um, I don't think we've seen all of those things so so far. We've seen elements of of them, um, and you know he's come his background in terms of he. I think he started at Ipswich. He spent a lot of time at the City Football Group, um, and then had a spell in my. I think it was Miami, and also a spell out in Belgium at Lommel as part of the City Group. Uh, before he then took his first appointment at uh, or first appointment in this country, at MK Dons where he took over from Russell Martin. And you can probably start to see where some of the themes might come from in terms of the way Russell Martin plays. He was a really good fit for for MK Dons, took them to the playoffs in in League One in his first season with people like Harry Darling, Scott Twine, Matt O'Reilly. You know, had some some really good players. And then subsequently, as those left, he had a real struggle at the start of the next season. I think round about Christmas, he got got sacked with MK in the kind of bottom, uh, bottom reaches of the division. Spent a little bit of time out and then went to Oxford at the end of last season. Saved them, saved them from relegation. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say they were they were struggling and he he kept them up. And then the start of his season, they were kind of flying under him in the, in a, certainly in the top three or four and looking like you know good candidates to 
you know, certainly a playoff push, if, if not automatic promotion when City came calling. OK, so in terms of the squad makeup, I mean, you've kind of talked about Pearson have built quite a quite a hard-working team and it kind of, you know, in, in the Pearson kind of mould and quite tenacious and, and all that kind of stuff. Perhaps that doesn't necessarily suit Manning. You know, do you think there's a bit of a squad makeup issue there in terms of his ideal setup? A, a little bit, but I think, you know, all the players are capable of, of playing that way. I just think Nigel Pearson's saw with the resources he had available. It, this was the best way of getting results out of a, a, a small thin squad of, you know, limited ability, I think is, is, is fair to say. So I think, you know, we've, we've seen under Manning that, you know, if we want to build out from the back, we can do it. I think the big problems are what do we do when we get in the final third? And that's probably been the, the recurring theme in, in a lot of games so far under him. A lot of teams probably say that though, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. a common problem. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to get that right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the, the, the difficulty of doing it for a team like Bristol City is without parachute payments, you haven't got the best players. And, and and I think, you know, even, you know, we've talked about Russell Martin just now in terms of MK Dons. What he was doing at Swansea is probably what Liam Manning's doing at Bristol City at the moment. You know, he'll have a mixed set of performances and results. Teams will catch you on the counter-attack. They're quite happy to sit in and let you play the ball around in the, you know, the the, the, the middle third of the pitch. But then, then they'll catch you on the break. And what Russell Martin's now seeing at Southampton is when you've got the best players, you can probably take that gamble that eventually your good players will come good and you'll you'll force chances and you and your score goals and are on a fantastic run, which probably doesn't particularly uh, enamour Leeds fans to him at the moment. No, no, it's, no, we're very nervous about Southampton. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, totally. Dan Russell Martin. Um, so, so in terms of the Bristol City squad, just more generally, uh, who would you pick out as key players or players that we should watch out for? Um, I, th- I think we, you know, although I kind of said, you know, we've got some, you know, we're a fairly similar ability squad. We do have some some good players in there. Um, okay, I guess starting from the back, we've got Rob Dickey, who we signed from QPR in the summer, which, you know, for, you know, alleged £700,000 is an absolute bargain. I'd say he's my kind of player of the season so far. He's kind of brought some, you know, key defensive attributes, but he's also got that ability on the ball as well. Um, which, you know, I guess, you know, kind of talked a little bit earlier about we do have players that suit the way Liam Manning wants to play. Rob Dickey would undoubtedly be one of those players. Um, alongside him, we've got Zach Viner, who's comfortable on the ball as well. And I think they've they formed a, a pretty good partnership this season. Um, I probably uh, my, one of my favourite players at the moment is our left-back, Cam Pring. And if, you, and if you've watched any of the FA Cup games that we've played, but he's played really well in the, the two games against West Ham and then against Forest as well. So he's really shown that he's, he's got the ability to kick on and, and, you know, whether Premier League clubs will come in from him, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I hope not, certainly not in this window anyway. Uh, but he, he's a really kind of good two-way Left back, currently playing left wing back because we're we're playing three at the back. But gets up and back, really, really phys- physical. Hasn't actually had the end product this season, but last season, you know, chipped in with probably you know six or seven assists as well. So yeah, he's a, he did a really good, strong outlet for us down the left hand side. And and then kind of as we move further forward, we got Jason Knight uh, signed from Derby in the summer. Um, a real kind of live wire in there. Uh, probably some doubts maybe about his kind of final ball and things like that but I think he's playing further forward than perhaps he would do normally um, he's playing more as a kind of number 10 and I see him more as an 8 or even a, even a 6 um, he's really you know settled in really, really quickly good good, uh, good energy um, and it looks like he's a leader as well he's captain the side a couple of times this season already and then finally our kind of 
young striker Tommy Conway's taken quite a lot of plaudits in the in the FA Cup games. Um, Twenty one year old's got eight goals. Spent probably two months this season out out injured. Um, little bit of debate at the moment as to whether he's been utilised correctly under Manning. We don't play a lot of balls into him. Uh, we don't send balls down the channels. He's a little bit isolated on his own, um, and yet he's probably still chipped in with with goals. So I, I think trying to maximise what we get out of him would be a kind of our route to to doing better. Yeah, I mean, I saw the the replay against West Ham. It was on the telly, wasn't it, at, at Ashton Gate? And I watched that mm. game, and yeah, he he stood out as a real live wire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a good good player, good cool finisher as well. Yeah, yeah, bit of a uh, yeah, definitely a live wire in a like hard running sort of player. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a yeah, bit yeah. of edge to him as well. He's kind of yeah, not, yeah. not afraid to kind of put himself about and leave his foot in. Yeah, very competitive. All right, okay. Yeah, sort of player Leeds fans would like, actually. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, would, yeah, would do, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. So, on to the game itself. So, just more generally, how would you say Bristol City undermining sort of build attacks, particularly in settled possession? Yeah, so, you know, as is kind of on vogue at the moment, um, you know, we try and play out from, from the keeper. We'll, you know, certainly from, you know, goal kicks. Dicky normally passes it to O'Leary, our keeper, and we 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 build from there. Um, the tendency in recent weeks, so since we've kind of switched to a back three, is that our route through up the pitch is is down the sides, and we don't play very very much through the middle at all. And I think teams are generally quite happy to let us go wide and condense the middle of the pitch and and stop us creating. And and that's been our real problem is that when we come back inside. From you know getting the ball out to Pring or, or McCrory at, at kind of wing back, they tend to have to go back when they go inside rather than go forward. We've not been able to find those kind of balls through the through the lines. And if we do go forward, it's normally by people like Jason Knight. We we just signed Scott Twine as well on on loan. Them drifting into wide positions, so we we continue that theme of all of our attacks really go down the outsides. And, and teams are quite happy to let us cross. We've not been loading the box with numbers to make that count either. So, yeah, it's it's, it's become quite difficult to see how we're going to create those kind of guilt edge chances through the middle of the pitch. So that's really been the, the theme of our build-up from the back. Okay. I mean, the team's kind of let you kind of see saw around the back and keep the ball and... Or horseshoe round, I guess, is the, the phrase perhaps. Yeah, that- pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly what, what's happening. Yeah, they'll kind of, you know... With our two, they'll let our two centre backs have it. They'll 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 stay narrow and they'll let us go out to the wing backs and then they'll you know press one half of the pitch and make it difficult for us to to go from there. You know, not an uncommon tactic for for most teams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that against Leeds as well, to be honest. So yeah. So in terms of when the opposition has the ball, how do Bristol City press, or do they not press at all? Do they fall back into a low block? What's the defensive shape look like? We are we're quite happy to drop into a low block. I'd say we're, we're two, that's probably been one of the, the big differences between Nigel Pearson. I wouldn't say we were massively high press under, under Nigel, but we would probably try and press higher up the pitch than what we are under Manning. But on the kind of flip side of that, when we do trigger, I'd say we, we trigger the press probably more efficiently under Liam Manning. So actually, our kind of recoveries high up the pitch are, are, are probably top half, whereas our PPDA is kind of 23rd. <laughs> something like that in the division so we're right okay when we do when we do commit to the press we're really good at doing it we just don't do it very often so we kind of retreat into the halfway line and let let teams build up we're kind of for, trying you know a bit like you know teams do to us we try and force them to one side of the pitch and trigger from there but we you know we're we're not you know going to be out there gagging pressing or anything like that we're, we're far from that 
Yeah, okay, but it sounds like a smart press in, in moments. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, which is probably what, what we saw from Manning at, at Oxford as well. Once again, they were pretty low on the PPDA, but high turnovers they were they were really effective at. Oh, that's a good sign. Okay. Uh, so Leeds this season generally been quite good in transition and they're generally okay against a low block. But what, what Leeds do like to do is they like to get the ball and try and draw the opposition out and kind of generate an, like an artificial transition almost, I guess. How do you think Bristol City will handle that or approach defending against that kind of attack or build from Leeds? I think that's one of the things saw from the, the game up at Ellen Road was you quite often got people like Ruta dropping into the pockets and then he, and then he turned on us. And that was where you caused us all kinds of problems. And as soon as he turned, you had uh, Somerville and, and James bombing on, and and we typically ended up with like one one on one fullback against your 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 wide player, and that was a real problem for us. And I think we struggled to. I think I think in that game it was Kamara and Ampadu played in centre and midfield, and they were so comfortable getting the ball kind of off the fullbacks, and either then playing off to centre back or rolling, and then you know, feeding Ruta and people like that, that, you know, we, we struggle with that. And I think if you do that again on, on, on Friday night, that'll cause us, cause us real problems. So I think we'll probably want to try and sit in a little bit more and not try and commit to trying to pinch the ball off your, off your midfielders. Um, so yeah, I think it might be a, a bit of a, a cagey game that kind of gets played for, you know, a fair bit in your half, unless you can get those players kind of sprung and rolling off of our midfielders. Okay, fair enough. So uh, defensively, Leeds have been pretty solid of late. Um, how do you feel about taking on that defence? Do you think you know Bristol City will have a, a clear idea about how to hurt Leeds? Um, if it's, if the recent weeks are anything to go by, I think we scored three goals in seven. Probably not, <laughs> but but I think I, I think it'll be interesting what his game plan is and whether you know we're at home, so whether he'll see it as an opportunity to maybe try and draw you forward and then catch you on the break. That's not something we've really seen a lot. Um, but I think that would be probably our best approach is to try and get you to, to, to come on to us and then, you know, get Conway running off the off the sides of your centre-backs um, and, 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 you know, and try and get down the pitch that way um, rather than try and, you know, slow build up. I think you'll, you'll cope with that too easily. Okay. Do you have any notable injuries or suspensions ahead of the game? And I just want to point out to the listeners that we're recording this on Monday and Bristol City do have a game tomorrow away at Coventry. So yeah, with, yeah, the, so with we, the caveat that nothing new comes up. Yeah, so we've got no suspensions. Um, the, the players that are missing, uh, Mark Sykes, who, who's kind of our right forward, right midfielder. Um, he's close to a return. Not sure if he'll be back tomorrow. Um, he's chipped in with kind of five goals, so he's been a real... Well, in fact, you know, in his 18 months here as a free signing, he's probably been one of our best signings in, in, in recent years. Uh, big Rob Atkinson, our centre-back, has been out all season, been out since March last year, did, did his ACL. And Cal Naismith, he was probably the player who might be the, the one that we're missing in terms of being able to put passes through the lines. He's been out for a couple of months as well. No, no, uh, he certainly won't be back for, for Friday night as well. So they, those are... Certainly two of those players are probably quite big misses for us, really, in terms of what they give to the squad and what they might give to the way Liam Mann in place. In terms of your... Could you give us like your best guess at a lineup? What do you think the team will be? Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the Coventry game might just bring a little bit of kind of rest and rotation into the picture. But certainly if we didn't have that game, I'd be pretty confident that it'd be Max O'Leary in goal. Our three centre-backs would be uh, George Tanner as our right centre-back, who's 
typically a right back, but he's probably an old fashioned defensive right back who's slotted really in well at right centre back. Zach Viner in the middle, and then Rob Dickey is the left centre back. Wing backs McCrory and, and Pring. Probably it'd be Joe Williams or Taylor Gardner, sorry, and Taylor Gardner Hickman in midfield. Might possibly be Matt, Matty James. One of two of those three are being permed kind of every game or you know every couple of games at the moment. And then I, I'm, I think we're somewhere between kind of playing a three-four-three and a three-four-two-one box at the moment. I wouldn't say Knight and Twine if if, if Twine's fit it, are kind of quite playing as like perhaps the the Coventry box was a couple of seasons ago um, but they'll play kind of slightly behind and slightly to the sides of, of, of Conway or I guess you know if, if we're rotating we might see Naki Wells uh, start up front but yeah it's going to be probably 11 of those of those 13 names that I've called out are going to be the, the candidates for the for the team. We don't generally ask for predictions or stats that way but how do you think this game is going to be won or lost or where do you think this game will be won or lost? I think kind of alluded to it already. I think I think for City to get something out of it, it will be doing well in transition and creating our chances from that and, and possibly sort of set pieces. I think the the, the one game that, that Scott Twine played because he was cup-tied, we had kind of caught a bit of XG from our from our set pieces um, and, and, and didn't didn't score them. That was against uh, Watford. Um, so if he plays, you know, set pieces are going to be uh, a a useful weapon for us and I guess on the, on the on the flip side you know if we're going to lose the game it's because we probably lose the midfield we get overrun and, and you know people like Ruter or people like that will will find too much space to drive at us and, and commit our our centre-backs and you know and you slide slide in your wide players and, and we'll be we'll be in trouble I think those are the kind of the main worries I've got I think if it does become a a kind of game where it's both defences knocking the ball side to side, then you know, see us getting some, you know, a point out of it. But I think if if Leeds get their key players driving at us, we'll be in trouble. Okay, great stuff. All right, well, thanks, Dave. Uh, thanks for joining us. Where can our listeners find your content online? So I'm on I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm at Fevs Football, which is F E V S Football. Um, Mainly, mainly uh, Bristol City stuff, but uh, a fair bit of Championship and lots of lots of data visits on there. So. Yeah, I can recommend following Dave. Everybody, I followed him recently, and there's some good data visits there. If that's if that's your bag, which is mine, so that's good. Excellent. All right, great news. Thanks for your thanks for your time, Dave. Appreciate that. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Good stuff. So before we move on uh, talking about this game, then we're just going to do a quick Patreon plug. Patreon is a media platform where you can support content creators you enjoy and you get extra content in return. Our patrons get access for as little as £1.99 per month, which gives you ad-free podcasts. And if you want to pay a little more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, such as this one. You get analysis, articles, videos, and bonus podcasts. We actually put out a bonus podcast last night, which uh, it was me, Martin, Hosty, and Adam, and we did a five-a-side draft of any player that ever played for Leeds and tried to come up with the best team. So it was actually really good, wasn't it, Martin? Very, very fun. Um, I'd encourage everyone to listen to it if they haven't of the Patreon subscribers. And if you're not subscribed, subscribed. It's, it's very good value for money, which we offer for that. But yeah, it was very much good fun, um, even if maybe my team was a little bit who. Yeah, Martin's team wasn't great, but it was better than Adam's team for reasons that I am not going to spoil. But um, if if you would like to listen to that, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's have a chat about Bristol City then. So, Martin, how are we expecting Bristol to set up our possession they thought they may do better if they sit deeper and allow us to come on to them. Do you think Do you think the same? So, yeah, I, th- I think that probably would be the best approach for them to, to, to do with the, if they were to sit back a bit and let us come on to them, especially with, with them playing a 3 4 3 system recently. We've had uh, troubles with 3 4 3 systems and they've caused us problems. Not all the time. We, we did pretty well, I think. Was it Cardiff who played a back three and we did all right? I think it was. Yes. So yes. So we have. So. We before that. We have had trouble, especially over the Christmas period, with some teams who played a back three. So I think that probably would work best for them. But in the game I watched most quite recently, their game against Watford, um, they were at home against Watford, and the, they had a pretty intense press going on. Um, I watched the fir- just the first half. Didn't have time for more, more than the first half. So I would imagine the second half may have changed a little bit. But in the first half, they were quite intense in their press. Uh, they had at times six players in the opposition half, so they would have their front three uh, as well as both wing backs pushing forward, and one of the central midfielders. So it was a pretty intense press that they had going on, and it did cause Watford some problems. Um, so yeah, it, I think it is a possibility that they do press us, but maybe not as intensely as that. Um, no, no disrespect to Watford, but we do have a better team, and I think if they were to press us as high as that. I think we would probably be able to get around it, even though the press was good. I think they probably start to sit a little bit deeper than that and want to us. Uh, Dan, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, it's just Dave talked about them being quite passive and having quite a low PPDA. Um, and he said it's it's a bit of a Liam Manning trait. I think it was similar at some of the other, other clubs, Oxford. Um, but he said they had quite a smart press or quite an effective press. And he said it wasn't sure what the triggers would be, but generally like Manning's quite good at identifying those triggers. And it's funny what you say, Martin, about watching them and finding them quite aggressive. I watched them in the cup against West Ham and again thought they were like they were really aggressive. I mean, they, they kicked shit out of West Ham basically <laughs> and, and pressed them, you know, and, and they're one of their goals or the goal came from, from a pressing situation, you know, a West Ham error. So I think they have it in their locker to, to be aggressive, but as they are playing tonight, I wonder if they will sit back and look for triggers and, you know, have, have something identified. I mean, I guess it's trying to work out how they're going to hurt us and what sort of tri- triggers they'll want to, you know, what sort of triggers they'll, they'll identify in the Leeds team. I don't really know really. It depends on our team news, doesn't it really? But, that's the interesting question. Um, you know, if Cooper's playing as someone, they might go after Cooper, or if one of our fullbacks is swapped out, you know, that might be something they go after. I don't know. It'd be interesting. Yeah, I was going to 
bring this up later, but I may as well bring it up now. The, the fact that Bristol City are playing tonight before a game on a Friday is just a huge advantage, isn't it? Like they've got, they'll well, have recovery tomorrow, probably pre-game stuff on Thursday, then they've got the game on Friday, so they've not really got another training. So how much can they even get that sort of pressing triggers? So, well, I guess they can do the triggers because they can do that not on the field. I don't know, I'm saying this with absolutely no coaching experience. But um, yeah, there's there's limited work they could do before this game, so they might just have to sit deep and go from there because what, what else can they do? Yeah, I mean, I guess they could probably do some shadow play on 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 Thursday, couldn't they? But like quite low intensity, and I guess you know they'll set they'll have an opposition like the twenty three set up like a uh, like leads or something, and say right when the ball goes out here, you move there and keep it very gentle. But yeah, you're right. I think it limits their ability to prepare. So it's probably more analysis, isn't it, and video stuff they'll they'll be watching. Dan, which which players from Bristol do we need to? Bristol City, uh, do we need to look out for? And this can be good or bad. All right, I'll start with the good ones. I mean. Like Conway really stood out. He's not starting tonight, which maybe thinks they're saving him um, for us on Friday. So they have Naki Wales or, or Conway as the two forwards and they just pick one or the other. So it's Wales is playing tonight against Coventry, but Conway, I think, has started more often. And I think he's just like a real terrier of a player, a bit like a, a Max Dean <laughs> so, kind of thing, or Alan Smith type player. You know, really, I, but I like that about him. I think he's good. I think he looks like a good finisher, runs the channels hard. So I think, you know, if they are going to get after us at times, it's, he's going to be key for that. Um Pring sounds like a really good left left wing back. Like I think they get a lot of their attacking upside from Pring. Um, they've got Jason Knight, who's another really kind of um, aggressive, kind of tenacious player. Not the best technically, but you know, like a really kind of a dynamic sort of player in the midfield. And he's playing further forward for them now. I and mean, I would I would think of Knight as a sort of number eight box to box type player, but they're playing him further forward. And they've just signed Scott Twine. He's come on loan from Burnley. He was recalled from um, from Hull. Well, I guess he got pushed out because Carvalho signed. But I think he's quite a dangerous player, great on set pieces. And I think we perhaps have a little bit of a weakness of set pieces. So maybe Twine comes in and could be dangerous for them. So those are the players I'd look out for in terms of hurting us. Um, I think their back line isn't the quickest. So I think if, and, and Dave sort of hinted at this, I think if we can turn the ball over and get running at their back line with our quicker players, I think we could do some damage in that respect. Yeah, I think that those are the players that stood out for me as well. I think the the only other player I'm going to point out is just because of, I watched that FA Cup game and that uh, is it Conway that scored in that game. He he looks a real handful, looked a great player. So um, if he came on, I could like he's still quite young, so I think he's just more quite a raw player. But he looked he looked like he was he was quite a good player. So just one to look out for. Martin, any other players you want to point out? Well, of the midfielders, uh, I think it's Matty James was the one who impressed me more. Even though he's um, a little bit on the older side, he's um, not far off being 33 now. He still looks impressive in the game, which I, I watched against Watford. He's got uh, some good passing range to him. And he, he, I think he's their player who dictates a fair bit. And he'd be the one who I think would want to try to press just to limit his, his influence. And his midfield partner on the day was um, Joe Williams, who didn't impress me as much. And I don't think he's he's not maybe started as much as what Matty James has. So maybe he's more of a squad player. And if he if he is playing, he's a player who I think we can try to run at um, a few times, especially where, where players were receiving and he was getting close to them at the back that they were able to turn him quite easily. And um, players in Watford midfield were doing it quite well. Um, I forget who it was, possibly Dele Bashiru. He's well, he's very good at doing that sort of thing. So that probably was who it was. So if we can. Get him to, if we can get Rutter in front of him receiving the ball and Rutter turn that will definitely generate a lot of 
chances if we do. So that's the only really flag on. Yeah, James isn't playing tonight, by the way. James is on the no. bench tonight, as is, as is Conway. So I'm I'm speculating here, but I'm wondering if they've been safe for Friday potentially. night. Quite potentially, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. The, those are the men who, yeah. who hasn't been talked about, who haven't watched to say a little bit on. What does the data say about uh, Bristol City's? Uh, so the data I'd look earlier, there's some bits were a bit meh, unremarkable, nothing really to write home about. Uh, yeah, the X, XG from open play, the ninth worst, uh, 20.91 XG, and it's got 18 goals from that, so a bit of an underperformance. And I think uh, Dave mentioned that they ha- have had struggles with scoring goals recently, so that is something which that they will struggle with. And set play is also pretty mid-table, nothing to write home about really, nothing, no big over on performance. And then they've got a pretty tight defence, but going off their open play, XG against uh, the seventh best in the league, they've only allowed 22.9 XG, and 20 goals have been scored from that, so I put their opponents have underperformed. And I think I, do, I think I do remember Adam raving about their goalkeeper, Max O'Leary, their goalkeeper. Yeah, I do remember Adam talking quite fondly about O'Leary and that he's a good goalkeeper for this level. So it wouldn't surprise me if um, their, their goalkeeper does have a good performance because that is the sort of thing that happens against Leeds, especially. Um, but yeah, other than that, the only thing I also noticed data-wise was the, the, the PPDA. I know um, he mentioned that the PPDA was quite high, but it was... Pretty middle of the pack, really. Um, fourteen point two PPDA. Um, for those who don't know, that's passes per defensive action. So if you've got a high PPDA, you allow your opponents to have more passes. So their their PPDA was tenth highest in the league. So there's a lot of teams who do allow more passes, definite. So I think it's pretty middle of the road. So I think they've maybe got a bit of a difference between home and away approach. So since they're at home, that also leads me to think that there is possibility that they do do press, but. Like we've mentioned with the midweek game that they're playing, it, it maybe limits that a little bit. I'll go for the predicted lineup then that uh, Dave gave us, um, and then I'll actually just go through the team they put out tonight because that makes life easier as well. So, expected a three-four-two-one box midfield, um, like Martin said, O'Leary and Net, and then a back three of Dicky, Viner, and Tanner. Uh, the fullbacks would be Cameron Pring on the left, and then. Dave said either McCrory or Bell on the right. Uh, for what it's worth, it's Bell that's playing against Coventry at the moment. And then the midfield two. So it was uh, Garden Hickman and then either Joe Williams or Matty James. And it's Williams playing tonight. And then behind the strikers, it's Jason Knight and then Mehmeti. Might have pronounced that wrong. Or Twine, but it's Mehmeti at the moment. And then Wells or Conway up front. And it's Wells playing tonight. So, yeah, there could be some variation there, but probably about half the team is pretty settled by the looks of it. Let's move on to talk about how Leeds might approach this game then. So, um, we've got any injuries coming into this one, I guess. Dan, is Dan James. Dan James, yeah. Strauch probably still out. Uh, potentially, actually, potentially. Yeah, I was just going to say, is I was going to ask you guys if you've... I mean, we're waiting for Fark, aren't we? He said it wasn't that serious after the... Norwich game, but he did get quite a bit of treatment. So yeah, I've not I've not heard anything more since since Saturday. So well, I guess we'll just wait and see until the press will be on be tomorrow or Thursday. Tomorrow, I'd expect I'd, I'd expect tomorrow. I don't know. I've it's usually Friday, isn't it? Before a Saturday game. So or is it? 
There's great insight. I feel, like he, he, I feel like he ever normally does it on a Thursday before a Saturday game, so I'm going to guess it might be tomorrow. But yeah. Anyway, we'll find out. I'd be wrong. Yeah, but we won't, yeah, we'll find out before Friday. Dan, how do you think we will? Um, how do you think Leeds will approach this game in possession? Do you think there's going to see it be any different from how we approach the home fixture? I think it's a problem with Dan James being out because he's the only one of that kind of profile, or particularly on the right hand side, who kind of holds the width and 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 plays quite high and wide. Um, I think we saw in the cup game at the weekend Nonto struggling with that role on the right hand side. Um, Jaden Anthony kind of came on against Norwich and wasn't great in that kind of role. So I'm a little bit worried about that, really. I wonder how, how they'll approach that. I wonder if they'll, they'll try and tweak it somehow just to suit the kind of profiles that are available um, in terms of the right wing. So, And it's a shame, really, because I think like Rob Dickey is a good centre-back on their left side of their back three, but I'd quite like to see Dan James over there and you know try and turn him round. So that's that's a, like a slight worry. So, But if we can solve that and get someone high and wide on that side, or perhaps we flip it. I don't think we will flip it because I think Furpo is in good form and they want to keep Furpo high on the left. So, yeah, it's just how we approach that, really. And otherwise, it'll be kind of standard stuff, I think, you know, trying to draw them out and and and, and, and sort of generate those transitional moments. Um, but yeah, I worry about the lack of outlet with Dan James. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, I, I will. I guess we'll talk about the Protector's lineup later, but the the obvious, well, the most obvious solution to me is to play Somerville on the right, but that just sounds potentially ridiculous considering how good he's been. The, the only thing that might convince him is that Jaden Anthony was genuinely good on Saturday in the left, wasn't he? He had a really good game. His goal was great, but just generally was good. His pressing was good, and that's his best role also. So perhaps, you know, the sentimental and give Anthony a go on the left just for one game and that Nonto suits the left more as well exactly so I, I yeah. don't know Nonto always seems to come on on the right but I, I think he definitely suits the left or or even 10 better than the right I think yeah I think you get more out of having those players on the left and then Somerville on the right but I imagine it'll be Anthony on the right and then Somerville on the left but uh, Martin how do you expect us to approach this game I don't think it'll be any different to our usual we will still look to press high when Bristol are playing out maybe a little less intense with it being uh, away from home but considering we have more time to prepare than what Bristol do, we may consider this a good good time to press more than what we would do normally away from home. So maybe the only difference I could see out of possession is us trying to do that. Obviously, one of our better pressers is out of the front line in Dan James. Um, but I don't, I don't think any of the other players who come in from our massive work, maybe Nonto is a little bit weaker in uh, out of possession. But I do think James, not James, sorry, Anthony, the decent pressure as well. So... If if Anthony plays, I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. But I too would also like to see Somerville on the right and the other side being either Anthony or Nonto, whoever he's picked, because I I would back Somerville in the form that he's in to do well on the right. We know that he can perform well on the right back from his days as in, in, in the under-21s. Um, back then, that, that was where he, he first started lighting things up. And we know he can take players on both sides, either on his weak foot or on his stronger foot both ways so he, he, he's able to do that so I, I would back him to be able to perform well in that role we know he can finish and if he can do it on that side if Jan James can do it I don't see why Somerville can't <laughs> basically so yeah I was going to say it's one thing sorry sorry, Martin I interrupted you there one thing I think about Dave said that, that they tend to play down the flanks they, they really put they really struggle to build up through the middle so I wonder if that'll impact how we press like you know, we'll try and let them, we'll let the, we'll let it go to the wide centre backs and then look at like pouncing on the wing backs or whatever it is something like that. So I wonder if that'll be an approach. And I don't know if that changes anything really. If brings their danger man, does that change who we put out there on the right hand side? Yeah, potentially, yeah, that is something to consider. 
Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, but I still think it will still be a similar level of intensity, just maybe a different triggers normal. It might depend on which fullbacks are available as well, just how, if, how that balance stays, because if you're suddenly, well, if you've got Furpo and who's going to be else is going to be fit? Byram. Byram. Yeah, Byram, yeah. I guess Furpo, I, I mean, it'll say the same, because Furpo bomb on, but I don't know. In, in the world where Furpo suddenly gets injured, which wouldn't surprise anyone, do we switch it up for, um, that way? Who knows? Mart, Martin, is there a player you can see having a big impact on the outcome of this game from Leeds? The most dangerous player for them is potentially Ring. So whoever is playing right back, whether it be Byram or possibly even Shackleton, I think Byram is probably more likely to come in than Shackleton for this game. So Byram will need to have a good game. Um, right back is his natural position, so I would back him to do well. So to, to just make sure we get keep a handle on Pring because he's, what they do, what we've already said, focused down the wings and a bit, a bit more emphasis on the left side than the right side. So it could be a similar situation to what we had with Miller in the game against them. So yeah, uh, if we can keep an eye on Pring and also Jason Knight, so the central players are always important for us. So both of the midfielders, whoever it is who will be in there, whether it's Scrooge and Kamara, or if somehow Amdou is playing in midfield, I don't think he will. I think he's probably most likely to be still at centre-back. But yeah, and of course, our main two in, in front line, uh, Ruter and Somerville, are always important for us to get a victory. Anything you want to add, Dan? I, just, I think this particularly sounds like a game for Rutter. I mean, you made the point earlier, Martin, about like rolling those midfield players of theirs and getting getting a run on that back line. I think if we can achieve that, if we can build in such a way and then get Rutter turning in, in good positions, then he might uh, he might enjoy himself. And, and when he enjoys himself, we enjoy ourselves. So that's 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 a big hope. Yeah. Martin in particular does. Yeah, yeah. I think I always think when a team plays in a back three. That, that the space to be had in the wings for so I, I'm that's I'll always point that out uh, it, it doesn't always work out but yeah I think like Somerville and Nonto or uh, Anthony you'd, you'd like to see them with space to be able to produce produce something for us Dan do you want to give us your best guess at a lineup yeah so I'm I'm gonna well Melian goal Furpo will be left back probably Ampadu Rodon centre backs I've got feet I've got I think Archie will be alright I think Fark was quite positive about him after the last game wasn't he it's been given. It was given the weekend off, so I think it'll be actually great right back. Uh, Grove Kamara. I think some of them will play on the left. I mean, I agree with Martin. I'd play him on the right, but I think he will get picked on the left. And I, I've got a feeling Jaden Anthony will get the gig on the right. He came on at half time for Dan James on the right, and it wasn't great. Sorry, this is the Norwich game I'm talking about. It wasn't great, but then he had a good game, obviously against Plymouth in the cup. So I wonder if they'll just like let him roll into that game and say you're you know. You've got some form now. Take it into this game, and because he's a good presser and a hard worker, I wonder if he'll get the nod over Nonto for that reason as well. So, yeah, my guess is Anthony on the right, and then Bamford up top, assuming no late injuries. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I can't see any different to that. Potentially, the only one will be um, Byron over Gray if Gray isn't ready to play this one. But like you'd mentioned, um, Fark was pretty positive about him. But I'm just leaning towards that being the only change, really. Yeah, for what it's worth, I completely agree with both of you. Let's talk about this game a bit more generally then. So, Martin, what do you expect watching this game of football will look like? I would expect Bristol to come out as quite aggressive, especially out of possession in the first half. And they'll try to unsettle us and try to stop us from playing our normal game. And I think they will have some success, They at least until we figure out their press. But with us, them having a game midweek, that maybe won't be able to be kept up too long. 
so I would expect it to drop off quite quickly. So we'll start aggressive, then slowly back off, back off, and then try to hit us in transition. We'll look to dominate the ball and try to get the ball to our wide players as soon as we can and try to, to score. And I think there will be a relatively early goal in this game. Uh, we did see in, in, in Watford, if I saw, sorry, in the Watford game, there was two goals in the opening 25 minutes, I think it was. So it's a score potential for it to be early goals, but not not many of them. There doesn't tend to be loads of goals in games against Bristol. They are relatively tight themselves and don't score very many themselves as well. So I think it'll be a tight, tight scoreline either way. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think they'll probably come at us at some point because they're at home and they'll have to. But yeah, they're not going to be able to maintain it. So I think Leeds will probably dominate like territory and possession in this game. I think I'd expect Leeds to probably dominate anyway, but I think probably more so um, in this situation with Leeds having the whole week to prepare and them not. So I, I think it might be, I think it might look like Leeds are on top for a lot of the game, <clears throat> and, uh, and it's kind of probably going to be a case of us getting a breakthrough. Um, and and you know the longer the game goes on and we don't get a breakthrough, I think that they'll come into it and their crowd will probably get behind them and what have you. So they're quite a low scoring team, but they don't give a lot away. They're not a bad defensive team, I don't think. So I can I could I could see it being fairly low scoring and quite tight. Um, yeah, and I think they'll try and hit us on like I say in the flanks, like Dave said. And I think we've just got a guide against that, and you know hopefully keep them on the flank, um, and we should do okay in terms of keeping them out. And finally, down where do you think this game will be won or lost? It's, it's it's such a boring like thing to say. We always say it, but game stake scoring first, isn't it? I think in these sort of games, uh, if we can get our noses in front and they've got to step out against us and try and press and come at us a bit more, which they probably will do at some point, that's only going to benefit us. Um, and so you, you you've got to hope that we get our noses in front. Um, the longer the game goes on, the more sticky and broken up it becomes. The more I feel like a Scott Twine free kick. <laughs> scuppering us but that's that's the fan in me talking um so yeah and martin you got the final word yeah i I think i agree with what dan was saying there the first goal is gonna be quite important in this it's gonna be a low scoring affair so whoever is more clinical in the first half will probably end up winning this game good stuff so that brings our preview of the bristol city game to an end just for what it's worth, I will caveat that we're currently the 72nd minute of Bristol City's game against Coventry and they haven't had any major injuries or red cards or anything. So if anything happens in the last 18 minutes, we didn't know about it. That's why. Just a quick reminder that the website for the Patreon is patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. We'll be back with a review of this game on Sunday or Monday, uh, depending on availability. But until then... I will say thank you to Martin. No, thank you as well, Taldo. Thank you to Dan. Cheers, Taldo. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.